Please turn to the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> chapter 4. I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, Your Apostle tells us here that You gave gifts. May we love the gifts that You have given. May we take advantage of the gifts You have given that we may meet the purpose for which You have called us to Yourself in Jesus. To be in You, Christ. Holy Father, help me therefore unpack the flow of this text, the meaning that was in Paul's mind when he penned it. Protect from error. Protect every heart, every mind. Work within us. Here at Sovereign Grace, deeply I ask. To the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Anyone who's under the impression that Christianity is about Jesus coming and living and dying and rising from the dead so that I could go to heaven. Or in other words, that you, singular, could go to heaven one day. And that's it. That's, that's what Christianity is. It's me. I come to faith. I, I, I. And one day I will die. And... One day beyond that, I'll be raised from the dead. Those who think that that is the, the, the core and the gist of Christianity do not know their Bibles. Jesus came to build His church. He came to die for the church, for the body, His body, the collective of the redeemed. He did not come to die for four billion individuals. He came to die for four billion individuals who are formed into one body, one bride, in many differing local expressions. There is a danger that is worthy of trembling over. And that's the danger of being a self-absorbed narcissist who thinks that salvation in Christ is for me outside of Christ's body. He's the head. We are the body. And thus... I'm a Christian outside of Jesus' eternal purposes for His church, the body, which is for Him to permeate all things in creation through His own body with His sovereign authority and rule. In other words, say it this way, the reason... 
that Jesus gives these word ministry gifts in verse 11 of Ephesians 4. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, teachers. The reason He gives those to the church is so that each and every individual member would be equipped for the purpose for which Christ placed them in His body. And what's that purpose? According to Ephesians, it is Jesus' purpose to fill all things in heaven and on earth with His glory. That's His purpose. So I want you to follow with me for a moment chapter 1 of Ephesians. Remember what Paul let us know there. Ephesians 1, starting with verse 22. Paul writes, He, God, put all things under Jesus' feet. And then, He gave Him, that is, Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is His body. The fullness of Him, here it is, who fills all in all. He says here in chapter 1 that the goal of the Godhead, the Holy Trinity, is that Christ, Jesus, fills everything by exercising His sovereign rule and control over all things. And He does this by giving Christ as the head over all things to the church. And the church is the instrument that He uses in carrying out His purpose for all creation. Filling all things. Remember how He said it in chapter 3? So that through, not around, but through the church, the manifold, many-faceted wisdom of God and who He is in His redemptive plan, that through the church it may become known and extended. So that's what Paul's been saying. And so now, here in chapter 4, Beginning again now with verse 7, he picks this up again. Start with verse 7. But grace was given to each Christian, to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift that we saw last week. Jesus measures out in proportion gifts. Therefore, it says... When He, Christ, ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. Now, He who descended is the One who ascended 
far above all the heavens. Absolute, sovereign, eternal God become man ruling for a purpose. Read it right there. So that He, as the ascended King, might fill all things. So Paul says Jesus, having risen and having then ascended to the right hand of God, to sovereign dominion over everything, He now distributes giftings to each and every one of His sheep. Why does He do that? Because He's setting out to accomplish the goal of filling all things with His sovereign rule. And it will be completed one day. But He is on the move until His second coming doing this. And He's doing it by giving to His people everything that is necessary to cause the growth. He's the head. To cause the growth of His own body connected to Him. The head. And then each person in the body does their part with their gift or giftings. That's how He's doing it. But, those giftings to each and every one of us within the body are not enough. And so Jesus gives to the whole body, they already have their giftings, He gives to the whole body of Christ authoritative preaching, teaching, and governing gifts so that each and every person with their gifts would be equipped to do the work of the ministry of filling up the church unto maturity and growth. See, what we see in the passage as a whole from verse 7 all the way to verse 16 is that every single member is called to ministry called to do their work of ministry within the body of Christ in order that the whole body there in Corinth, the whole church that is over there in Ephesus, the church in Rome, so that each and every member would do their part which would be the cause of the growth and maturity of the body. So I just want to read it slowly, so follow along, starting with verse 12, so we get the flow of what Paul is doing here. In order to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. No, but rather, each one speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, that is, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it causes the body to grow so that it builds itself up. In loving one another. So, in verse 7, look at it that we covered last week. Paul tells us each and every individual born again person coming into the local church, each and every individual believer is gifted with proportions of grace that are appropriate to the gifts that Jesus gives to each one. Okay? Then, in verses 11 and 12, Paul says, Jesus gives other gifts to the whole church. And these gifts are certain kinds of truth brokers. Proclaimers explainers of the truth. Verse 11. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, in order to equip every Christian in the church. The saints. For what? For their work of ministry. What is that? It is the building up of the body of Christ. So these gifts here in verse 11 are different gifts from verse 7. Verse 7 is about each Christian has been given grace measured out gifts from the ascended Christ. Verse 11 makes the point that the body as a whole has been given gifts from the hand of Jesus. And those gifts are people with authoritative word speaking gifts. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. These persons are charged with the task of equipping the saints so that the saints will be prepared to do the work of ministry, which is the ongoing task of building up the body to become more and more healthy in its loving and in its thinking doctrine so that no longer when all the false teachings come along are they gullible 
to them. Growing up into the maturity which is Christ. So we'll be coming back to that aspect. Okay, what does that really mean? Let's unpack that more. What is this body ministry that grows and... Well, come on. What practical things does that mean for us? We'll be coming back to those questions in the next couple sermons through here. But for this morning, then, the question is this. Got the body ministry. This is where it's all headed for the maturity of the body to the head of Jesus, that it grows. What is the gasoline that empowers the members to do their part of ministry in the growth of the body? And the answer is clear in the text. The gasoline is verse 11. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And so let's look at them. Apostles, we've already seen through our journey, through Ephesians, that Paul has told us in chapter 2, verse 20, that the apostles are the foundation of the church. He wrote, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We'll get there in a minute. We saw earlier that apostle means sent out. A sent one. And you can be an apostle of a church where the church sends you out, but you're not an apostle of Jesus Christ the way Paul talks about it. So when he's referring to the office of an apostle of Jesus Christ, it means I have been personally sent out by an encounter and Jesus speaking to me in His resurrected, glorified body to be His mouthpiece like Peter and John James's brother, later Paul, to be the mouthpiece of God establishing the church in the first century. They are the foundation. Their words and their doctrine are the ongoing foundation throughout the centuries and millennia of the church. These personally sent ones by the resurrected Jesus are revelatory spokesmen, like Moses was, like Jeremiah was. These apostles received special revelation from God through and by the Holy Spirit in order to understand the mystery of Christ and then teach it and write it and pass it on. What is the Gospel? And how does it work itself out? And Paul says, I've written it down and as you read, you can understand my insight. And one other place where Paul talks about this, I'm going to go briefly. You want my full understanding of this. I've already preached it. So you go back to the website. Look in Ephesians and where chapter 2, verse 20 is dealt with. Okay? I'm trying to really move this morning. 
But here's how Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 2. But we, he doesn't mean we all Christians here, he means we revelatory spokespeople, the apostles. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. These things God has revealed to us, apostles, through, how did He do it? The Holy Spirit. And so now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. They got the goods. And then he says, and then what? We apostles impart this in words. Words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Holy Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are born again, or spiritual. The apostles are the foundation. It's a gift that He gave us Paul, Peter, John, James, his brother. It's a gift. Secondly, in verse 11, he says, he gave the apostles, he gave the, the prophets. Hmm. And again, go back to chapter 2, verse 20 in that sermon. Briefly, in chapter 2, verse 20, in this letter, in the context of the letter, Paul said very clearly, the household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Hmm. And then in chapter 3, verses 4 to 5, he says this, When you read this, what I wrote, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to who? To His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So that text says that the foundation of the church is the apostles and another group who evidently are not called apostles. Called prophets. And so, my best shot at it in summary, I, I give the fuller argument in the other sermon. As you look through the New Testament, as you look at the gift of prophecy, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians, you look at it in 1 Corinthians. Here's my conclusion that everybody in the New Testament that had the gift of prophecy for encouragement and building up of the body doesn't mean that they were in the office of prophet. The office of prophet is a group in the first century along with the apostles that was the foundation of the church. And both groups, according to Paul, are the ones to whom God made known by the Holy Spirit the theological goods of the Christ event. And so, before Paul was ever sent out in the sense of now doing the going outward to the Gentiles, and Barnabas too, 
This is how Luke says it in Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. And he names them. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Paul. Clearly, Luke is saying Paul's a prophet. Barnabas is a prophet. Now, they haven't been sent out yet. Right after this, they'll be sent out on the Gentile mission. And now that, well, he's an apostle, a sent one going out. But either way, the point is they had in the first century, in the founding of the church, a special ministry as prophets and or as apostles to whom Jesus was revealing by the Holy Spirit the goods. The theological goods. The doctrine. And then give it to the people. Have them pass it on. And evidently in the first century, there are other prophets who stayed at home. Didn't travel and never had a tag of apostle in that sense. They're homebodies, but with this gift. Okay. He gave the apostles, he gave the prophets. Thirdly, he gave the evangelists. Now, I do this only when it's important. I find it important. The word translated. Evangelist here is the word euangelistas. I want you to hear the, the root of that word. Euangel. Euangel. But here it's euangelistas, referring to persons, they're evangelists. It refers to those who bring, travel and go bring good news. But this word, euangelistas, is only used three times in the New Testament. Right here, where we read it, he gave evangelists. And then in Acts 21.8, when Luke tells us Paul and the gang, they stopped over in the ship in, in Caesarea and they entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven back in early Acts serving tables. He calls him an evangelist. And then one other time, when he refers to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.5, he says, Timothy, beyond suffering, these other things you're supposed to do, do the work of an evangelist. Okay. But, there are two other words in the New Testament that come from the same root, right? Euangel. They all have the root euangel. Uh, and they're used numbers of times. So, the noun, euangelion. Here, euangel, euangelion, which means gospel or good news. And then, let's make that an action word. The verb of it is euangel or euangelizo, which means to preach the good news or the gospel or to gospelize or to evangelize. What the word means. Now those word, the words existed before the Christ event. And what did they mean? It meant like the people that would run from town to town, from the king's court to announce news. 
They're bringing, and if it was good news, it's, 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 it's Euangelion. Hear ye, hear ye, the king's enemy has been killed in battle. The threat is over. The kingdom is safe. That's Euangelion. That's good news. And of course, the New Testament, early church, took over the word Euangelion, and it just became synonymous with the good news of Jesus Christ. And when you go out and preach the content of that good news, you are evangelizing. You're doing the verb euangelizo to preach the gospel. Now, in Ephesians 6, same letter, Paul will use the word euangelion, saying the gospel of peace, and he connects it with the shoes. Now you get on your feet, which has this idea, you need shoes to walk and you need shoes to go out with the gospel of peace. So, when he says, and he gave euangelistas, or evangelists, it's those whom God has particularly gifted to travel from place to place, with the good news of the gospel. Now, Paul, what do you mean? Because I, I want, I'm going to try not to be anachronistic, right? I, I'm an American. I became a Christian in 1981. And we throw this word and all kinds of words. Oh, that's right. So let me read it back. Okay, what do you mean when you wrote this in 8061 or 62? What, do you, what does that mean to you, Paul? Here's my best shot that essentially when he says he's given these evangelists, he means these people in ministry, this kind of ministry that is very similar to the apostles. They go. They bring the gospel to a place that hasn't heard it, or to unbelievers in particular, even if there's some people in the town that have done they get this gifting to go and to preach it. That's what the apostles are doing, sent out to do that. So, they're like the apostles, yet they are not apostles. They do not have the authority of apostles as revelatory spokesmen. They got their goods, not like Paul, directly from Jesus. They got it from Paul. And Jesus sends them his gifts. They now go preach it. And so Timothy learned his doctrine under Paul at times, would be in the role of an evangelist, not an apostle. He traveled a lot with Paul, too. He was an apostle. He was an evangelist. Philip, remember early, he's serving tables, and then what happens? The persecution, people kind of spread away from Jerusalem, and Philip goes to Samaria. There's no apostles with him, and he preaches. What should we call him? He's not an apostle. He doesn't have that kind of authority. <gasps> Evangelist. And that's how Luke designates him later. Epaphras, who founded the church in the city of Colossae, learned his doctrine under Paul. What are we going to call him? Well, it doesn't New Testament, but I think Paul would call him, in that role, an evangelist. He evangelized the town. Does it make any sense? Okay, so... So I think, now we look in church history, you can go with thousands and thousands and thousands of people, but I'm trying to just use well-known people. So I think John Wesley, I think George Whitfield, 
I think, Billy Graham, who are essentially missionaries for the most part to their own culture without crossing cultural boundaries, but they're evangelists in that ministry that they're well known for. And there are others who do cross cultural boundaries from one culture to another, like Hudson Taylor going to China, like David Brainerd going way out west in America, about 150 miles, to Native Americans, okay, Jim Elliott, South America, we call them missionaries, but they would be called, I think they fit here, they are evangelists, that's what they do. So Paul writes in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Okay, now, in the original, and, 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 it, and it comes out in the ESV and most translations pretty clearly too, so you can see it, the first three types of ministry people all have their own definite article. Now, that just means the word the. Okay? In front of it, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. Now, when you come to the last two, there's only one definite article that governs the last two. Shepherds, or you can translate that, pastors. And then there's the conjunction, and, which is also unusual to verse 11, and Teachers. Now, I just bring that up because there's an interpretive debate. What does he mean? Are there really four ministries he's talking about and the last two are really one, meaning pastor-teacher? Or is it just a rhetorical device? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, and he does mean five. That, did you feel, okay, what is it? Is he referring to one office, pastor, teacher, with the last two, or is he referring to two offices, which makes five altogether? Let me just make a couple of comments. First, it's clear in the New Testament that all pastors are teachers. If they're not teachers, they ought not be in pastoral ministry. But, see, actually here, apostles are teachers. Prophets are teachers. Evangelists, forget about what people say, well, you can't really explain. No, 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 no. Evangelists, they don't just say stuff and read off a card. They don't know. They better understand what they're talking about. Therefore, they can say it and they can teach it. They're teachers. So all these are teachers and, and the shepherds or are teachers. So, I think Paul could be saying here that there are teachers who are not in pastoral positions. They're not elders, but they're gifts and they're teachers. I say, I think Paul most likely means here is this. Yes, all pastors are teachers, but not all teachers are pastors. I wasn't always a pastor, though I was a teacher. And I, I, I can talk about when I taught in Bible school, but I just want to bring it back to the church. This is how 
I actually wrote two lines in my spiritual autobiography because some of you, it drives you nuts. Others may love it. I'm so anal for clarity. So it's how I wrote it. In 1998, my pastor asked me to teach the book of Galatians on Thursday night. So in the fall of 1998 and all throughout 1999, I taught Galatians and the unity of the Bible at Ocean View Community Church as a non-pastor teacher. So, the word shepherd, the way the ESV translates it, or pastor. Why do they translate shepherd, not pastor? Well, because they mean the same thing. Technically, the word, if you talk about a shepherd with sheep, it, it, that is the word that is used. Poimane. So, that word, poimane, pastor, or shepherd, this is the only time in the New Testament where that word is used to refer to a ministry within the church. But, the verbal idea of the same word, root, okay, of shepherding, is used a number of times for ministry within the church. If you would, I'd turn to Acts 20 for a moment. Acts 20, Paul writes, starting with verse 28. And he's talking to the leaders of the churches, the elders that he called together. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Okay, same root word. We talk about flock or the shepherd that does the flock. This is the word poimneo. Shepherd is poimain. It's the same root. Pay attention to yourselves and all the flock. If you talk with a metaphor of flock of sheep, by definition, shepherd is assumed. Pay attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, notice His metaphors here, after my departure, fierce wolves, again, shepherd protecting sheep, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. There it is again. And from among your own selves, sadly, will arise men speaking twisted things in order to draw away the disciples after them. So there's this verbal idea. And you know, Jesus sitting in His glorified, resurrected body on the beach of Galilee with Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, here's the literal, shepherd my sheep. And then again, finally, what do shepherds do? They make sure they eat. And Jesus will say, feed my sheep. Don't let them starve to death. So in the New Testament, the words 
shepherd or pastor. The word elder, the word overseer, they're used interchangeably to refer to the same office. I just want you to notice where we just were in Acts 20. Paul called, I want all the elders from Asia Minor, Ephesus to come down. It's the last time we can see their face and I want to give them a lecture. And so the elders come down and what does he say to them? He says, elders, shepherd, lead the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you. Well, he doesn't use the word elder. There. He made you overseers. And so the word elder just had to do with an older person. But we don't just think, hey, age, you reached it. Not necessarily. It's driving at the elder part of the office is that the, that the men be spiritually mature and not novices. The word overseer has to do with exactly that. A focus on leadership and governing and authority. And the word pastor, shepherding, it draws from the analogy of shepherds caring for, protecting, flock of sheep, which at the core means they must feed the sheep, bring them to good grass to eat. They must teach the sheep the Word of God so that they would grow and be protected by the shepherd from fierce wolves who could devour them. And the Apostle Peter, at the end of his first epistle, a general epistle to all hundreds of churches he has in mind in these five provinces, copy it, copy it, and send it to all the churches, churches, and he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Here it is. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. There are the three words again. Elder, shepherd, overseer. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory under shepherds. And then there is now the word teacher. He's given teachers. And so I just think it appears that there are, there's huge overlap, of course, with the first four. They all teach. But there is a gift of teaching. Now, that is of teaching, not mathematics or U.S. history, but the point is you're teaching doctrine. And there are teachers that do that and help equip the church without having the shepherding, pastoral, overseeing responsibilities. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12.28, And God has appointed in the church 
first, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Now, clearly, one of the main things Paul has in mind there are pastor-teachers. But I don't think exclusively. He's gifted people who may for some time and then at other times not be in that role of a pastor. All pastors are teachers. All shepherds are teachers, but not all teachers have that responsibility of shepherding or pastoring. Now, what is teaching? Teaching refers to the gift of understanding Scripture. I'm not done with my sentence. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. That's understanding. No, no, okay. Let me see. I'm going to pick. If I pick out Rosie, say, Rosie, I want you to teach all these people what a 4 3 defense is in football. It's amazing. I have to get the teaching. Well, she can't teach what she doesn't understand. So, okay, you've got to understand something first. And then you may or may not have the ability to tell other people about it. It's amazing how people can understand particular things in life. On computers, it drives me nuts. Okay, teach me. And they're clueless how to teach someone who's an idiot. Like me. And other people realize, I know how to connect with you. I'm going to bring you along. So teaching means they have the gift grabbing hold of and understanding Scripture, biblical doctrine, and the ability to explain it to others. Where the fruit is, predominantly, we're talking about sheep that are hungry. You can't feed sheep that say, I have a full belly and I don't really care. But people that really want to know and to learn, they say, thank you, that's helpful. Oh, I I didn't quite get that. Can you say it again? Yeah, let me say it this way. They have a gift. One degree or another to help explain, unpack Scripture, biblical doctrine. And so, the teaching that he's referring to is mainly the exposition and the application of Scripture. In Acts 15.35 we read this, But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching, The Word of the Lord, not geometry. Along with many others who were doing the same thing. In Acts 18.11 we read, And he stayed a year, Paul stayed a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. And in Acts 18 we read this about Apollos. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. He knew how to speak and be clear. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed himself in the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And so, teaching at its core is saying in different words, illustrating, explaining, 
the words of the apostles who are interpreting the words of the Hebrew Scripture in light of what the Spirit has taught them. So we read in 1 Corinthians 4.17, This is why I sent to you Timothy. i got a purpose for sending Timothy to you, Corinth. He's my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. I sent him to you, why? So that he would pray really hard and have Jesus speak new thoughts to his head and tell you about them. It's not why he sent Timothy. I sent Timothy to you because he's faithful. And so that he would remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. And so Timothy, know your station. Your station is to teach what God directly gave to others, not to you. Be faithful with the Scriptures and remind them of the teaching. Or in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul writes this to them, And so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions. That's the teaching. The traditions that you were taught by us. Either by our spoken word or by our letter. Hold to what existed long before you came out of the birth canal. And in the pastoral letters, which are First and Second Timothy and Titus, instructing pastors and pastoral ministry, in those letters, teaching at its core is the authoritative activity that is pointedly concerned with faithful passing on of the apostles' doctrine. The Gospel. I mean, here's Christ and this is how Christians live their lives and what is expected. Pass it on. I'm just, I don't want to, just for time's sake, I'm going to read from the pastorals without continually cite where I'm reading from, but they're in there. Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard, not from Jesus in His resurrected form, but that you have heard from Me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Timothy, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard, guard the good deposit of the doctrine that has been entrusted to you. And therefore, Timothy, a church leader, an elder, an overseer, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Timothy, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. 
especially the ones who work really hard at preaching and teaching. Titus, an elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy Word as it has been taught. So that he, the elder, may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict the sound doctrine. Oh, Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, Timothy, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so, Paul, now at this juncture in Ephesians, tells us, And Jesus, having ascended on high with all authority, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the foundation of local churches having Christ-centered body life. Not merely a classroom and go home, but the body of Christ as He's going to go into doing and living life. Because it is only through each and every individual then that the body grows healthy in their interactions as every sinew in a physical body is held together doing their individual parts. The foundation of that happening, of Christ-centered life, is the apostolic Word. Paul ain't here, but he is. Peter's not here, but he is. Moses is here. It's in the book. And so the foundation of this body life is the apostolic Word being taught clearly, unabashedly, fully, consistently, and authoritatively as it is being pressed upon the consciences of Jesus' people. The flock. And that is what equips the congregation 
to do the work, the work of using their own giftings to live and do ministry toward one another in church life as they speak the truth, the scriptural apostolic truth to one another with hearts of love and care. And Paul says, that's what produces the health of the whole body. As he ends the section, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that the body of Christ on earth builds itself up in loving one another. Oh, what a great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is. We're going to turn now to the cup of His blood, the bread, His body broken for us. And as it's passed out, hold it. If you are a baptized believer, feel free to grab the elements, hold them, and we will pray over them and partake together. Amen.